the silence of heaven. Our technologically social world uses the term, they ghosted me. Now, for some of you that are a little bit older saints, perhaps you've never heard that term, they ghosted me. It's used to describe when someone in our life basically cuts off communication with us for no apparent reason. Now, there is always a reason, but what drives the ghosted person nuts is trying to figure out why. Some of you are chuckling because you've been ghosted before. Sometimes that's the main reason we get ghosted. They're wanting to drive us nuts, trying to figure out what we've done. And ghosting is all about rejection. Other reasons include perhaps you've done something to hurt or offend them. Perhaps they no longer want any social relationship with you. Sometimes the ghoster, I just kind of made up that term, the ghoster is a coward and refuses to confront you. Sometimes they lack the social skills to be up front. And then in some cases, the ghoster has a low EQ. Not IQ, but EQ. EQ is emotional intelligence. Those people with a low EQ have a hard time understanding how their actions might have actually hurt you. Some use rejection to provoke you to end the relationship. They're ghosting you, provoking you to react and say something mean or nasty so that the relationship ends and they can say, I didn't do anything, you're the one that acted ugly. I've had something that I, I, you know, I jokingly call it this, but really, truly, it's not a joke. I have known believers that believed in something that I call suicide by preacher. You've heard about suicide by cop, where they provoke the cop to shoot them. Well, I have seen people that they didn't want to be honest and upfront, and they wanted to leave the church, but they wanted to look good in the process and wanted to make sure that you look bad. And so they start doing little subtle things, subtle rejections and little things here and there that, provoke or force you to deal with it up front, and then that gives them the excuse that they're the victim, they got mistreated, and they leave, hence, suicide by preacher. Can I say to you this morning, don't do that. Just be honest and up front. A lot of times there are miscommunications or misunderstandings that can be can be clarified if you'll just deal with problems and concerns and hurts if you'll deal with it up front with grace and charity. Now, at the risk of sounding like a, I call this a kitchen table psychologist, I'm not trying to sound like that, but some people have such a low self-esteem or a low value of themselves that they don't perceive that you could actually be hurt by them. It causes them to lack empathy for anyone that they subconsciously feel is superior to them. Now, once again, I'm not trying to play kitchen table psychologist. And listen, if you study the Bible, this concept of self-esteem is a human nature, a sinful human nature concept. 
We're not supposed to be having high self-esteem or low self-esteem. We're supposed to be esteeming others better than ourselves in a Christ-like manner. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning out of Philippians chapter number 2. Too often we live our life based on ego rather than based on the principles and ethics of the Word of God. That's when the Holy Spirit actually guides us and directs us through human relationships. Now, let me give you this quote, and I got this from Googling it, but it's a really good quote. And so during this introductory part, I just wanted to give some practical advice in dealing with ghosting and all of the social problems that come from the way that we handle technology and so forth. Listen to this. Digital access at all times can make us forget that there are real people on the other end. Using our devices as a shield, we become desensitized and do things that we normally wouldn't, like leaving someone high and dry. We've got to remember that just because you're not face-to-face and you're not talking to someone person-to-person, it doesn't mean that the words that you type or what you say with your thumbs or your fingers isn't causing problems. That's an actual person on the other end. And sometimes the impersonal aspect of digital communication can cause more misunderstandings and more reactions, and it emboldens us to sometimes say and do things that we wouldn't say it that way if we were looking at them in the face. How often have I seen and even experienced to my own shame firsthand that a misunderstanding that by texting or communicating digitally, it only created, it added fuel to the fire. And then when an actual person-to-person conversation took place, we walk away from it thinking, you know what? Everything's good. That was a misunderstanding. I'm human. They're human. And we got it all sorted out by actually speaking face-to-face to that person. Now, what people do today is they ghost you or they unfriend you and leave you wondering why. It's all rejection or self-protection. Both are characteristics of our fallen nature. I want to repeat that. Rejection or self-protection, both of those are, yeah, they're human. Hey, I'm only human, but human characteristics are sinful, and it is part of our fallen nature. I guarantee you rejection and self-protection was never the way of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we're supposed to think more like him and less like uh, less like us. And so number one, I'd like to ask a question. It's a rhetorical question, but does God ghost us? Does God ghost us? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. We just read here in Revelation 8 and verse number 1 that there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. When God gets quiet, it's for a reason. And that's why I say, does he ghost us? Yes and no. Yes, he does. But sometimes when we get ghosted, it's for no apparent reason, or for it's a reason that we don't know. Listen, when God ghosts us, He's already made it clear as to why He's ghosting us. He's made it crystal clear. But we have refused to listen. 
Ghosting usually takes place after God has done everything possible to get our attention. How about Genesis 6, verse number 3, And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. You know that God ghosted? I mean, I say he ghosted the human race for 120 years. He said, my spirit's going to stop striving with man. In the days of Noah, man was wicked. Man had rejected the word of God. God sent Noah a preacher of righteousness. They rejected God's man. They rejected God's truth over and over and over again. And God says, all right. I've done all that I can do to help you, to protect you from you, but you have rejected. I got nothing more to say. And so his spirit stopped striving with man. Hold your place here and would you go to Jeremiah chapter number 7? Jeremiah chapter number 7. Now, there are many verses in the Bible that I could go to, but I've chose to try to... Save a little bit of time here this morning. Isaiah is chock full of references we could turn to. Jeremiah is really full of these kind of references. But I want you to see here in Jeremiah chapter number 7 and verse number 23, it says, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. So God's not trying to control your life like some egotistical control freak. He's our God and creator. He's our superior. He is sovereign. But the reason he gives us commandments is not for his own egotistical satisfaction, but rather for our protection and for our good. He wants things to be well with us. Look at our culture all around this world, and particularly here in America, at how we have rejected the counsel of the Word of God. Hey, how's that working for us? It's not working very good. We got crime and violence and perversion all over the place. We've got people that are medicated that ought not be medicated. We've got addictions and you name it, all down the line. We are not a joyous, happy people anymore. How's it working? It's not working at all. Oh, God's so mean. All he says is, thou shalt not. God's All he wants to do is make me go to church every Sunday. God's saying all of this for our own good. Verse number 24, but they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imaginations of their evil heart. Isn't that what the Lord said prior to the flood? He said that the thoughts and imaginations of man's heart are evil from his youth. They've rejected me. They won't listen to me. And they went backward and not forward. Listen, America is going backward. We're on a slippery slope. And when we started rejecting God, we started going down like this. But the further we go, it just gets slipperier and steeper. And that's where we're at. A moral and spiritual decline. 
Verse 25, since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. God says, my preachers got up early in the morning so I could send them. Why did they get up so early? So that they could study and prepare and be prayed up. Why did they come out early? So that they wouldn't miss you before you went to work. He's basically saying that I made sure that you had an opportunity to hear what I had to say. Can you think of any time period or any place that's better than America as far as hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's on the radio. It's on television. It's printed. It's everywhere we look. You can buy a King James Bible in Walmart for a couple bucks. Can you imagine what the early Christians would have done for their equivalent of $2? I mean, something that we leave under the couch or we, you can find it down between your seats in your car. Enough to buy a copy of the living, breathing Word of God. You don't have to write it out. We've got it everywhere. And what are we doing? We're not listening. We're not taking God seriously. Verse 26, Yet they hearken not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. That's what God says about His people when we reject. Listen, brother and sister, if you're saved and you start ignoring what the Word of God crystal clearly says to you, and you think, oh, I'll just kind of just ignore that, you are in dangerous territory. Your neck and your heart gets harder and harder and harder. Listen, if you are in that spiritual condition, you need to repent today. You need to soften your heart and humble yourself and say, listen, Lord, I've been doing things my way. I am ready to start listening to you. The only way you can do that is if you genuinely and truly trust that God has your best intentions in heart and mind. Isn't that what the devil did in the Garden of Eden? He tried to convince Eve that, hey, God's trying to keep you back from something good. But if you'll listen to me, i got something better for you. You know, like I said earlier, 6,000 years of human history, how's that worked for us? It hasn't worked very well at all. If you think that it's worked pretty well, there's going to come a time when someone that you love, you're going to be at their funeral and your heart's going to be shattered and broken and you're going to realize that, you know what, us doing it our way and us not listening to God has not worked out so well. So does God ghost us? Well, yes, He does. He gets quiet. And he gets silent. There was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. I was talking to Brother Ben about this passage, and he made a very profound statement. He said, the teacher is quiet in class during an exam. This silence in heaven is right before a major test that God is going to put on planet earth with these seven trumpets. Listen, God was silent for 400 years before bringing Israel out of Egypt. 
there were approximately, listen to this, 400 years from the completion of the Old Testament to the first coming of Jesus Christ. And if we are correct about the significance of this King James Version of the Bible, it's been a little over 400 years since 1611. Listen, you take times when God speaks and God does something amazing, and then there's a silence for about 400 years before the next major event on planet Earth takes place. But often, right before something big happens, it gets really, really quiet in heaven. So does God ghost us? Well, yeah. But we know why. Because we haven't listened to His Word. Number two, I want you to know here this morning that when God stops speaking, it doesn't mean that He's not listening. In verse 3 and verse 4 of our text here in Revelation chapter number 8, we see that this angel has a censer that's full of, uh, a censer that's full of incense and it's also full of, look in verse number 3, the last part of the verse, the prayers of all saints. He takes this censer with this incense and he presents it before the throne. All of the prayers of all saints can be found in this censer. How often do you feel like God's not hearing your prayer? Oh, I've had many, many sleepless nights where I've poured my heart out to God. My heart being in agony and breaking. And sometimes I'll be in such a turmoil that I'll get out of bed in the middle of the night and I'll go up to my prayer closet and I'll pace back and forth and I'll talk to God and I'll, I'll beg Him for comfort. I'll beg Him for help. And sometimes after a couple hours of that, I'll just go back to bed and say, hey, maybe I can go to sleep. Sometimes I doze off and sometimes I don't. Sometimes thinking, God, you didn't comfort me. Or the next day, that thing that I thought that, hey, God, you've got to come through or everything's going to come crashing down. And he didn't do anything. He was just quiet and silent. And I was sure that the next day, or certainly by the end of the week, that my life was going to come crashing down on me. And then two weeks later, we're still breathing. We're still going to bed. We're still eating breakfast. We're still waking up. We're still going through all of those routines of life. God was silent and quiet, and we made it through it when we were just sure that there's no way that I can make it through this if you don't do something miraculous. It doesn't mean that God is not hearing your prayer. David said it this way in Psalm 56 and verse number 8. He said, Thou tellest my wanderings, God, you know all about who I am. You know my faults and failures, and you know that I have a hard time staying on track. I get off track spiritually. I get off track emotionally. I get in a rut. I stop doing the things that I know I ought to do, or I start doing things that I know that I shouldn't. And thou tellest all my wanderings, but David said, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Listen, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It may not be tomorrow morning, but it's going to come some morning where you're going to wake up 
And God's going to have that storm. He's going to speak and say, peace be still. Sometimes we think He doesn't care. You're not listening. But He's taking those tears and He's putting them in a bottle. He's recording them in His book. There is record in heaven and all of those prayers are going up before Him and He's compiling them. And during this time period of this silence in heaven, that angel is going to take all of our prayers and it's going to be mingled with incense and it's going to be a sweet aroma in the eyes of the Lord. You say, preacher, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for presenting a sweet smell before the throne. I'm looking for God to help me. I want that genie in the bottle, God. I want God to hear my Santa Claus wish list and do something miraculous for me. We tend to be narcissistic in our prayer life. Our relationship with God, yes, it is very personal, folks. God wants it to be personal, but it's not all about us. There are times when God will be silent, and it is not because He's being mean or cruel to you. It's because He has a different plan and a different method in which He is going to receive glory and honor out of our lives. And so number three is the silent half-hour significant. Look at it once again in verse number one. And when He had opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, the seven trumpets of judgments, and you know, if you skip down, and we'll preach about this in the future, but verse number seven, the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. I've said this before. All of these environmentalists and tree huggers that are worried about man destroying planet earth, God is saving plenty for himself. He's not going to let us destroy it all. You know, and yeah, things are changing. And, And listen, we have no, listen, no scientific proof that cars and gas stoves I love gas stoves. I get some good grub from a gas stove. We have no scientific proof that that's what's causing the climate change, okay? We have scientific proof that climate change happened before industrialization ever happened. We have scientific proof that one eruption of Mount St. Helens put more carbon emissions in the atmosphere than all of human history and every factory in all of history combined here on planet Earth. That's just a fact. They tell us that there are these anomalies called solar flares that take place where it's like a little explosion that takes place in the sun. And the effect of that explosion may happen on planet Earth years later. All of these are factors that we can't control. And whether or not man has something to do about it, I I don't know. I can't control all of that. But if the polar ice caps start melting, let's farm Greenland. You know, all of the people from up north, they're wanting to move down here. You southerners, you don't appreciate that sometimes. No offense to northerners. 
Some of you are smiling. I have to be, I probably could have said that more wokey. Preach it. <laughs> Preach it. No. <laughs> hey, what are you whining about? That just means they'll stay up there, right? <laughs> By the way, for the record, I was born in Idaho. Idaho was not a state in the Civil War. Therefore, I cannot be classified as a Yankee. And listen, we're all Yankees to Brother Ben Smoker. He's from Australia. That's really south. Yeah, he says amen. There's a lot of things that are going to happen on planet Earth during this tribulation period. This is real stuff here. This isn't, this isn't picture language. This isn't, this, this is real prophecies that's really going to happen. Is the silent half hour significant? Well, no doubt it is. Now, I can't say I totally understand it, but I'm going to give you some food for thought. You do whatever you want with this. Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Now that tells me that time runs a little bit different in heaven than it does here on this earth. And so what to us seems like a thousand years, in heaven it seems as if just one day. Now, if we take this time ratio, the difference between heaven and earth, then we see that one hour, which is one twenty-fourth of a day, is .833 of a day. So that's not, I think it's .08. I think that's a, yeah, I think it's .0833. All right, forget about my math here. Just get the point. I'm a preacher, not a mathematician. Trust me, the point's valid here. All right, so uh, .833 of 1,000 years equals 42 years. Now, half of that, half an hour, equals 21 years. 21 years minus three and a half, because when these trumpets show up, I see this, that the first three and a half years have already taken place. It's the last second half, the three and a half years, that all of this really, really bad stuff starts getting unleashed on planet Earth. All right, so minus three and a half years, you get 17 and a half years. If you take 2023 and a half, all right, that's about where we're at. We'll be there in June, all right? 2023 plus a half a year minus 17 and a half, it goes all the way back to 2006. Now, I'm talking general terms here, okay? I'm not talking specifics. I'm not talking any specific prophecy. But these equations are all estimates using the present time as a reference point, all right? That's if the rapture were to take place between now and June, okay? I don't know when it's going to take place. And so if this is not totally just weird, then somewhere between 17 and a half and 21 years or so prior to when the trumpet sounds, there's going to be a time of silence in heaven. 
I think it's an idea worth considering, not a doctrine, not a prophecy, but one thing that every Christian can say, I believe this, I've sensed it, I've seen it, that things have spiritually changed in this world, certainly in our country. Some of you older saints, you can remember times when the Holy Spirit was speaking and working. It's different today, folks. I can't pinpoint it as 2006. I would have to go back and say, you know what, something in America drastically changed after 9-11. I think that we would all have to agree with that, that something changed spiritually in our nation after 9-11. And I, I think back, and you know, the, the World War II generation, who they had this strong sense of loyalty and righteousness and character. And I remember when I was a teenager how quiet my dad would get when I would show him a Japanese-made car that I was interested in buying. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. It's like, hey, this this is a good car, Dad. And he's just like... He got really, really quiet. You know why that was? Because he grew up as a child during the World War II and when Pearl Harbor got bombed and... When kamikaze, when people got killed in POW camps and all of the atrocities, they knew and they understood that. And it took a long time for that generation to get over it and accept anything that had anything to do with Japan. Now things are different and I know that Japan's a very different nation today than it was during the World War II era and so I'm not You know, I know you have to be so careful nowadays talking about any nationality or ethnicity or anything. I'm just simply stating an experience and a testimony from that generation. But wouldn't you agree that this generation electing a leader, a president, seven years after 9-11 with the name of Barack Obama? Doesn't that seem just a little strange to you? That sense of loyalty and righteousness? That just seems, there's something weird about that. That happened in 2008, by the way. So you take the modern era that we live in today, and... I don't know about you. I know that, I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart. I know that He is working in my life. But when I look at our culture, when I look at churches, even church services like this, wouldn't you agree that it just seems like that heaven is really, really silent? That God seems to be really, really quiet in this day and age? I got right with God in 1986. And prior to that, I spent a couple years under deep conviction. I mean, I was miserable inside. And when I got right with God, oh, it was, it was a spiritual experience. And this was a time when you talk to preachers that really knew and experienced the revivals and the power of God back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s here in this nation. 
they were all talking about how things used to be and how they'd have camp meetings and jubilees and revival meetings and people would be running down to the altar with tears running down their cheeks, repenting, saying, God, save me. God, help me. When's the last time that we saw that when it wasn't just a bunch of emotional workup type of stuff? God's been very, very quiet. I'm not trying to pinpoint it on a date, and please be gracious with my formula there. All right? It's just an idea. But I think that we all know that um, it's sure gotten awfully quiet in heaven, and it seems just a little bit like maybe God has ghosted us. He's still working in our lives, and no doubt, no doubt, He's still saving. The gospel is still just as powerful today as it ever has. And the Holy Spirit is still just as powerful as he's ever been. But the idea of a national revival, let me tell you something. I personally find that pretty doubtful. In conclusion, as we take the Bible in general, and I've already mentioned that we've had 400-year periods of time between uh, the Egyptian... Um, uh, the Egyptian slavery and God delivering them, the time period of between Malachi and the first coming of Christ and so forth. We, we see that God brings the human race through cycles, revival, then you, know, you have uh, evangelism and then apostasy eventually creeps in and just the human race goes through all of these cycles. And one thing that we have learned from history is that we don't learn from history. Amos was a prophet of God in the northern kingdom prior to the time of God's judgment and captivity of Israel. And he was a prophet of doom. We would call him a hater today. We'd call him a Pharisee. In Amos chapter 4, he is rehearsing to the children of Israel uh, that prior to God's judgments that there's going to be dead religion going through the motions, but nothing real. He says there's going to be... uh, captivity coming. There's going to be hunger and drought and crop blight. He says there's going to be mildew that you you just, where did it come from? He said there's going to be insect damage on your crops that no matter what you do, you're not. Have you noticed that there's something weird about insects and mildew and blight today? It, It takes a lot of work and effort and Chemicals to make things grow right today. Something's strange going on, folks. That's what was happening in Amos' days. And he said God's going to send a pestilence. That's sickness. Hey, COVID was a pestilence. And all the different things, they're not naming it anything, but hey, there's some nasty bugs going around, some flus, and people testing negative for COVID, but boy, they're sick for a couple weeks, real sick. Now, I don't know what's happened. It just seems like that anything that comes around, kids are catching it and kids are spreading it. I think we all know that sickness, there's always been sickness, When you have kids and you put them in the nursery or you go to a restaurant, there's going to be sickness. But it seems like here lately that there's all kinds of stuff. And I don't know if maybe there's viruses out there that have morphed, 
because of vaccines that haven't really been researched and studied thoroughly. I don't know if maybe immune systems have been weakened because of isolation or even those most people have had at least one case of COVID and maybe that virus has had some kind of a weird effect on our immune system and it's caused other viruses to morph. I don't know. I just know that every time you turn around, someone's really, really sick nowadays. It might might be pestilence. And it may not have come from China. It might have come from God Almighty. Amos talked about centralized population. Everybody's fleeing to the cities. Do you know if you take the major cities out of our nation today, you imagine how conservative and godly and moral that this country would be if you just took the three major cities of population out of the picture? Listen, you take... And I'm not talking about Republican and Democrat. I'm talking about biblical morality and the lack thereof. The major population cities are the ones who are controlling this nation. That's not what our founding fathers envisioned. And what did Amos say in Amos 4, verse number 12? He said, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Folks, the same message is being spoken by heaven today. Prepare to meet thy God. The preachers of after Amos' generation. Amos is one of these preachers. He's telling them all this is going to happen. Hater, hater, hater. I mean, hellfire and brimstone. Why don't you say anything good and positive? Why don't you smile when you preach, Amos? (laughs) Guess what? The next generation of preachers were during the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was, according to the Word of God, the lone voice of truth in his day. Jeremiah 5, verse 31, it says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. Hey, they just try to manipulate you to do what they want you to do. And my people love to have it so. You buy their books. You watch their programs. You go to their churches because you love it that way. And Jeremiah says, what will ye do in the end thereof? Today is Palm Sunday, by the way. While riding into Jerusalem was a pretty significant event for the Lord Jesus Christ, there was another event that took place that probably a little more significant to you and I. And it's this, in Luke 19, verse number 41, he's on the Mount of Olives, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. This is Jesus looking out over a city that he had tried to help. He tried to preach to him the truth over and over and over And they wouldn't listen until finally he just got quiet and had to ghost them. But still, he's looking down over Jerusalem and he's just weeping.
Listen, God is silent in heaven, but don't confuse his silence, not for one moment to think that he doesn't care and that he doesn't still want to save you. Listen, if you're waiting for God to speak, I got news for you. He already has. He's given you his word. He's given you the gospel. You better stop waiting. God's silence doesn't mean he doesn't care. It means you better hurry. Amos said, prepare to meet God. Are you prepared to meet him if he were to come today?